Are you here? Are you here? <laughs> I have almost Superman X-ray vision. I can see you hiding in the shadows, but you're here. You're listening, and I just wanted you to know. <laughs> It's the Paul Leslie Hour. Hey, look, listening's always option. You can close your eyes, but you can't close the sound. So we appreciate you making this choice today. Hey, we got a big archive of interviews, and we're making sure to distribute all of them on Spotify, Apple, what have you. We got a phone interview from the archives with the great Todd Rundgren, legendary guitarist and record producer. Todd Rundgren gave Paul Edward Leslie an interview about his blues album entitled Todd Rundgren's Johnson. Which is Todd's interpretations of Robert Johnson's blues songs. Now, for your information, we like blues music here. Side note: Todd Rundgren's appearing as a special guest with Daryl Hall this summer. That's a show to catch. Check out DarylHall.com for more information. And then there's this. Another option that's available to you is subscribing to Paul Leslie's YouTube channel. Yeah, we're trying to get 1,500 more subscribers on the YouTube show in the next few months, and that ain't easy. But we be trying. Give us a chance, my man. Okay? Now we know why you came here. Todd Rundgren. You want to hear him talking about his love of the late Robert Johnson's blues music. So let's. Listen together. It's up to you, ladies and gentlemen. It is our pleasure to welcome Todd Rundgren. Thank you for having me. <laughs> It is our pleasure. We're going to be talking about a number of things, including the late blues legend Robert Johnson. Todd Rundgren has released an album, Todd Rundgren's Johnson. So, who is Todd Rundgren? At heart, well, <laughs> I'm a simple man at heart. I like the simple things, but I guess at heart I'm something of a uh, you know musical explorer. I'm not really satisfied staying in one niche. It may have a lot to do with my musical upbringing and the people that I admired as a um, well as an amateur musician. For instance, you know the Beatles were constantly reinventing themselves, and since that was the music of my youth, I always figured that's what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to constantly experiment and and move on to new things. So, that having been said, an album like like Todd Rundgren's Johnson or or any blues album that I might have done still has a A place in my heart because my very first paying gig was as the guitar player in a blues band. So that's probably the only reason, only sensible reason why I would have considered covering one of the one of the greats of the uh, of the genre. Can you recall the first time you heard the music of Robert Johnson? If you want to loosely define Robert Johnson's music as any version of a Robert Johnson song, likely Crossroads was one of those songs. But you know, Crossroads was actually a Cream interpretation, and I had been influenced by by a crop of of English bands and and guitar players before that, all of whom probably were covering some Robert Johnson song at some point or another. So. 
likely it was a cover by the Yardbirds or it was uh, a song on a John Mayall album or something like that. When I finally got well into the uh, into the blues, I was listening to a whole variety of artists and probably was not paying too close attention to the writer's credits most of the time. What is it in specific that you like about the sound of Robert Johnson? Well, I came to Robert Johnson, as I say, kind of indirectly. I was very much influenced by a crop of English guitar players who themselves were being influenced by Robert Johnson through recordings that found their way to England through the uh, Merchant Marine. Being a maritime nation, a lot of English sailors would find themselves in southern ports of call uh, in the U.S., places like Mobile, Alabama, where they could find some small record store in a black neighborhood and pick up these records that would never appear in a record store in Philadelphia, for instance. And so the direct influence of Robert Johnson, indeed the direct influence of, influence of a whole generation of early blues players, that was happening in parts outside of the United States. That wasn't happening to you know great swaths of the country because these records just weren't available to us. So when I first heard the first Robert Johnson songs I heard, were, as I say, were being done by John May and the Blues Breakers, other blues bands like the Yardbirds or blues-influenced bands that were coming out of England. And it wasn't until after I started paying a little closer attention to the liner notes that I realized that there is this guy, Robert Johnson, <laughs> who has uh, created a lot of this music. Our special guest is Todd Rundgren. Do you have a favorite Robert Johnson song? I can't say that I have a single favorite. You know, now that I've had a chance to bore down into the music, there are a lot of songs that I probably didn't see the potential in, but that I get a lot of enjoyment out of playing, which I guess in the end is the bottom line. I think that Robert Johnson was a big influence because, not only because of his own interpretation of the songs that he wrote, but the fact that the songs lend themselves to other interpretations and that a lot of people have, have kind of transformed the music into something that isn't stuck in a, uh, in a historical era. You know, it keeps finding new vitality. Well, since you said it was hard to pick a favorite Robert Johnson song, could you pick a favorite song from the ones that you recorded on this album? Oddly enough, one of the simplest songs, Kind-Hearted Woman, is one of the ones I had the most fun doing. Maybe because all of the other songs, or many of the other songs at least, have been so thoroughly covered by other artists that it's hard to find a way to, to get a new look at them. But this was not necessarily one of the more covered songs. I'm sure it did, it did get covered, but I just got the idea of doing it in a certain way. And it was one of the very last songs that I did on the record. And so I think I felt, I guess, a little unburdened. I had gotten through all of the, you know, the more familiar material and managed to find different ways to approach it. And so by the time I got to that song, I was just kind of having fun, <laughs> which I think is, kinda, is part of the original intent. Is that how you approach the album, in a way? Entertainment? You could say that in a way. It was me sort of reliving my youth in which the only thing important to me was was playing the guitar. 
when I first got out of high school, I didn't really ever envision that I would be more than a guitar player. And so I was kind of possessed about it, you know, one might say nearly suicidal. And so it was an opportunity for me to go back and do it and have it not be not be a factor in my in my rep, I guess. In those days, it was, you know, if guitar playing was all you did, every note you played seemed to have some sort of importance because you were, you know, you were a gunslinger in a way. In a world of other guitar players, you're still, you're trying to get some respect. And that's so long ago to me at this particular point that to go back and do a blues record and to visit some of the material that I was familiar with uh, through so many different channels, that it was mostly, yeah, just fun to play the guitar, to not try and not try and compete with anyone, to just depend on the t- technique that I just that that I that remains to me. <laughs> and, and in that sense, yeah, it was even more fun to play live, to go out and to be able to do so much improvisation on a nightly basis was reminded me of the good old days. Because you were making this album, did you listen to a lot of the different interpretations that have been recorded over the years of Robert Johnson's songs? Well, I had to, it's kind of the opposite of that. If I was listening to any of the other versions, it was so that I could find a different way to approach to approach the song. A lot of this stuff, as, as I mentioned, has been well covered. Some of the versions are iconic, like Cream's version of Crossroads Blues. So the challenge is to try and do it in a way that, that doesn't remind people of somebody else's version. And... The idea, I guess, for me was to try and go back to Robert Johnson like I hadn't before, like so many before me had, but I hadn't, and try and hear what the essential melodies are directly from the source and come up with new parts and and melodies and things like that and ways of approaching the material as if I had never heard, (laughs) you know, Cream's version of Crossroads Blues or anyone else's iconic version of a Robert Johnson song. What studio did you record this album in? Oh, I didn't do it in a studio. I did it at home. <laughs> it's the way I make most records now. I find a find enough space to make noise in. And then it used to be that you, you know, had to have, first of all, a properly configured acoustic space. But on top of that, recording equipment didn't didn't used to be as portable as it is nowadays. And so all I need is an audio interface on my laptop, a couple of microphones, and I'm good to go. So I did it here in my house uh, in Kauai. Do you prefer an environment like that? The environment I prefer, actually, is one in which I get the maximum amount of solitude when I'm in the middle of the recording process, particularly if I have to write things, you know, or in this particular instance, arrange things kind of from scratch. I do my best work when I'm kind of like undisturbed for a while and and all of those outside interruptions and and situations and stuff go away for long enough that you can hear what your brain is actually doing. <laughs> and so all I require really is the proper amount of solitude. And it used to be that I would go back to my old house in Woodstock and hole up there for a couple of weeks and that would 
be enough to get through the process. Now that I've, you know, last couple of years I've had family and stuff like that in the house, so I have to go out and, for instance, find some vacation rental and move into it so that I can get enough peace and quiet for that process to proceed. What is it that you want the listener to get out of the experience of listening to this album, Todd Rundgren's Johnson? Well, the bottom line is that the blues has always been a, I suppose, has always been meant to be a diversion. The blues is the is the profane side of the black musical experience. You know, the first thing you have to accept is that this is music principally devised out of a particular culture. And the other side of it is gospel music. The gospel music is the, the holy, saintly music that you do in church. And the blues is that dirty music that you played the night before. <laughs> It's a proper place, you know, it's really, you know, it's not supposed to be that vaunted, you know, it's, consum- it's, it's a consumable item, put it that way. And sometimes I think, you know, I tend to take it too seriously, perhaps because of the, the culture that produced it and all of the hard times and such associated with that. But the music was always meant to unburden, in particular, the player himself, a way of just, you know, a means of self-expression. And there's a whole gamut of stuff that gets expressed in that. I mean, Robert Johnson himself went from the lowest lows to the most goofy, giddy highs in the songs that he wrote. So, you know, I think people have to continue to see it as like, you know, in in the simplest possible terms. There's not supposed to go through a whole lot of of thought or filtration or analysis or anything like that. It's just extract whatever, you know, feeling you can get out of it, and, but otherwise don't get too fretful. <laughs> what makes a good song a good song? There's a lot of argument about what good is, so you would have to settle that question first, but I think what makes a successful song in any case is, you know, it's something that through that mysterious process gets in your head and continues to play in there even after the sound has gone away. And I've always wondered what exactly that what exactly that was. I mean, we're working with a very limited number of building blocks. The you know, the Western twelve tone scale, you know, and in any, any particular instance, the melody to a song may have no more than five or six notes. So, you know, how does that all come together in a way that that catches people's ear, but beyond that stays in their head after the sound in their ear has gone. And I think a lot of it, of course, is melodic, but as time has progressed, I've found that the lyrics are an incredibly important part and something that I invest a lot of time in. And there's a whole science to matching melodies and lyrics in a way that really affects people. And to me, if the words aren't good to a song, or if the words somehow don't fit with the music, then it's not successful to me. So having been a songwriter for all these years, I put a whole lot of probably commensurately more effort into lyrics than I do into the melodic part. What is the best thing about being Todd Rundgren? The best thing about being Todd Rundgren is the low expectations. <laughs> it's that long ago I got out from under the that oppressive idea that I had to be successful. I was making 
money as a producer for other people, and their success was my success. So anytime I went into the studio, I wasn't constantly, I didn't constantly have this sort of Damocles hanging over me that represented success and failure. And so after all these years, I tend to do whatever it is I think I'm supposed to be doing. Pay a whole lot of consideration to you know to the to the formula or to the things that I've done in the past. Everything is the future to me, so that's the best about it. What is your all-time favorite meal? Hmm, all-time favorite meal. I'll tell you, <laughs> it's pretty funny, but I don't long for a lot of things. You know, I don't go around yearning for stuff. But for some weird reason, every time I go back to Philadelphia, we stay at the Warwick Hotel, and we go across the street to an all-night diner called Little Pete's, and I have eggs and scrabble with caro syrup. <laughs> I don't know this, this, if it's my ultimate prison meal, but there's just something very comforting about it to me, you know, to go back and have the, you know, the kind of breakfast that my parents would take us out for on a Sunday morning at the Howard Johnson's or something. So I tend to uh, tend to go back for that, and you know, other meals fade in and out in popularity. Ah, my last question is very open-ended. For anyone listening in, what would you say to the listener? Well, I, you know, I want to say hi. I want to say, geez, I hope they at least give the record a listen. Let's see if they think there's anything they'd enjoy on there. And certainly to keep an eye out for when, when I get out on the road. I may not be playing the blues forever, but we do put on a pretty good show still to this day. So hopefully we'll be coming to your neighborhood soon. Well, Mr. Rundgren, I appreciate this interview. My pleasure. Thanks a lot for having me. Have a good one. You too. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you for stopping by today. If you enjoyed our program, consider telling a friend about it. The Paul Leslie Hour is made possible through people just like you. So you want to keep the show going, right? Go to thepaulleslie.com. That's thepaulleslie.com. Click on Support the Show. And thanks to everyone who contributes. Performance of the intro music is courtesy of John Primerano, the entertainer, written by Scott Joplin. End credit theme music is courtesy of John Primerano, the traditional song, Corina, Corina. Your announcer is Dan Gold. Hey, that's me. The show is hosted and produced by Paul Leslie. And we'll see you next time on the Paul Leslie Hour.